Good morning, good morning. That's enough meeting and greeting. I don't want to get too friendly. We're glad you're here as Dan and Brett both welcomed you. Um, we are. We're wrapping up our series today. We've spent the last six weeks in, in Luke chapter 6 in this series called Upside Down Kingdom. We're going we're gonna to continue it today, wrap it up today. Um, but I want to start just by sharing something about myself, um, and that is that I am not a builder. Okay? Um, I, don't, I don't have the thing that it takes to, to fabricate, to build something from scratch, um, given all the resources and tools, you know, if like if, you know, when, when, when the box of Legos shows up with the instructions and all the pieces fit perfect, I have no problems, okay? But if you give me, if you give me the wood and you give me the instructions, I will inevitably build something that, is, that, that, that will not stand, okay? And when, um, when, when my kids were little, my first two were little, um, my wife and I had this genius idea that we had, we had a dog in the house, <clears throat> and we had this genius idea that, that in order to keep the first dog occupied while we were expanding our family, we should add a second dog. Um, and it's a terrible idea, um, and uh, everything that we loved about our first dog um, went away, <laughs> and, and everything that we really disliked about our first dog, she taught to the second dog, and so we just had this, this atmosphere in our house that was contentious um, with, with the dog, but the thing that drove me the, the, to the edge the most often with this dog was that the, the second dog, her name was Sydney, and she was cute, but, but not bright, Okay. And, and she would get between our air conditioning unit outside in the house, and it was nice and cool there during the summer, and she would lay back there. And while she was back there, I think she'd get bored, and so she would begin to chew on the wires that were there. Yeah, it might explain some of her cognitive inabilities, um, <laughs> that, that she was constantly electrocuting herself. But, but so, you know, it's in those summer months, and it's warm, and she's out there, and she's nice and cool laying back in that spot, but then she's... She's chewing through wires, and our air conditioning is going out, okay? And, um, and again, I'm okay with, like, minor fix-it jobs, but I don't, I don't like, I've heard a rumor that elect- electricity can kill you, so I don't like messing with it, you know? So, so I call the guy out, and he's like, well, yeah, it's, you know, he puts it together, and I feel like a dope, you know? And here's your $120 for your three minutes of time, okay? But, but Sydney, like, she didn't get the message. She kept getting back there and chewing on these wires, and I did everything I could to just persuade her to not go back there, and she wouldn't. So I, I hatched a plan, and the plan was, you know, that having driven around other places, I've seen people that they have like a lattice, you know, box around their air conditioning unit. I know you can't put like, you can't put solid wood up there, it restricts the airflow, but lattice should work, right? So I, I, I go to the, the Home Depot or Lowe's, one of the two, and I get all the materials, and I've got my paper. I'm, I'm measuring twice and cutting once and doing all the things. And I, I, I build, it, it looked really nice, okay? Three sides, it would fit right up against the house. Everything was great. And I, and, and you know, there, there's, I, I mean, I'm so bad at this that there was sort of a, a public unveiling, you know, I, I call my wife and my, my oldest son, I think our younger, younger, our second son now, but, but he was probably just, you know, still wee tiny. But I call my wife and my oldest son out to observe what my hands have crafted. And I, I take the box and I get it into place and I, I look at it. And while it seemed to be square, it was kind of leaning. And I, okay, so... 
I kind of dig up a little. I mean, it was, like I said, the measurements were right. It was square, but it wasn't sitting level. So I, I, I kind of dig a little bit. Well, it's underneath that air conditioning unit. There's a step there. So there's rocks and stuff. And so I know what to do, okay? If I just take my rubber mallet and tap it, right, it'll kind of go down in the soil a little bit and even things out. And so I take my rubber mallet, and there's that corner, and I went, boom. And the box went, bish, 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 into, into three separate pieces. And, and then I look over, and my lovely bride, who is so special and dear to me and so supportive, and, and she encourages me when the whole world has got me down, is, is nearly in a fetal position laughing at me. <laughs> and though, though, it was, though it was a rubber mallet, I knew, I knew it was a weapon. And I just, I'm sure that day I just gently asked her to go back inside and to let me take care of this. Um, there's a second half of the story that I will summarize this way. I did get the box built. I did some reinforcement. I mean... Like, what should have been like a $20 job was probably $200 with all the things I had to buy to, to get it to work. But I got it in there. Later that afternoon, I hear this banging outside. Our, our house backed up to a road. Like, I thought, oh, no, like someone's throwing stuff at our house from the road. I hear this banging noise. I go outside, and the dog, this Sydney, this dog, she's, she's getting a running start from the other side of the yard, and she's jumping and pounding the box until the wall, like, collapses she crawls up over it now because it's on an angle, and she gets in there, and she's looking at me from inside the box. I'm not a builder, okay? I'm not a builder. If you need a new faucet, I might be your guy. I can replace that. You know, I could change a tire, but I'm not a builder. But today, in the section we're going to look at in Luke chapter 6, if you've got your Bible and you want to go there one, one last time with us, Luke chapter 6. Jesus uses a building analogy, <clears throat> and so I had to do extra homework this week to make sure I understand, understood what he was talking about. But he's going he's to talk about the building that all of us do, the building of our lives, and how we're, how we're building something, and, and that there's a purpose to that building. And, and of course, like he's done throughout this whole thing, he, 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 there's... there's this, this wraps up this section that we've called upside-down kingdom, that there's some, there's some flipping on end, there's some looking at this in a way that doesn't quite match the sensibilities that we, we bring to the table just sort of naturally. And so, um, so just by way of review, at the very beginning of this series, we, we mentioned the fact that Jesus had engaged three separate groups towards the beginning of Luke chapter 6. He'd engaged three separate groups. He came down off the mountain to the plain, and, and, and he, he selected apostles. He, he appointed 12 people to be apostles. These were the people that were closest to his work. These were the people that, that when he was gone, these were the people that carried out the mission in his absence. And, and this is not a perfect group. It goes out of its way to mention Judas is in that, that group of 12. And we know Judas betrayed Jesus in the end. Okay? So these people are not perfect, but they're sort of nearest to Jesus in the story. And then it says he... He, he, he went out and there were all these disciples, these people that had been following him and hearing him, that they'd been, they'd been 
listening to his teaching, and at least at some level, they'd allowed him to discipline them. That's where the word disciple comes from, the same idea, that they were being disciplined by his teaching. He was, they, were, they, were, they were within the boundaries of his teaching. So they were following him. And then it mentions this great crowd. There were a lot of people that were just sort of interested, people that had come from, it mentions some, some places far away. They'd come from far away because they heard about him. And so, so those people had come to, to hear him as well. And then, and then as Luke records this, it goes through a series of things that get turned upside down. He, he, he addresses those, the crowd and those disciples and apostles, and he turns upside down some of our thinking about our values, that, that, that wealth and, and comfort, that those things are not necessarily what are, should be most important to us. And in fact, when those things are absent, we have equal access to God. That, that the absence of wealth, that, that even when we're hungry, when, we're, when, our, when our needs go unmet, that God's blessing is still on us. And he addresses our enemies, this, this concept, this idea that, that we, we have foes, we have enemies, we have people that are in our way. And he says, show them mercy. Like, go, go, you go to them. You resist having enemies. He talks about judgment, that our position is not one to make judgments about others. And he flips these ideas upside down. And last week, we, we addressed this idea of fruit that, that, that once, the, once our life is kind of turned upside down and we're oriented the right way, our, our roots go down into this soil that, that is the very, the very person of Jesus, and it produces fruit in our life. Certain things come out of us, good things. But if we're not rooted there, if our life is rooted in something other than Christ, we produce other kinds of fruit, all right? And that's where we, we find ourselves today. And we're going to look, we're going to start at, in Luke chapter 6. This last section begins at, at verse 46. And, and Luke, Luke writes this question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? This is Jesus' question posed, remember those three groups, apostles, disciples, and the crowd. And, and primarily it tells us he's speaking to disciples, he's speaking to people who are kind of consider themselves within the boundaries of his teaching. But he poses this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Well, this, we, this, is, a, this is Jesus' version of a common question, right? Like, we, we ask these, these sorts of questions all the time. If you, if, you, if you supervise people at work, you could say, why do you call me boss, boss, and then not do the work I give you to do, right? If you're a teacher, okay, if you're a teacher and you have students, you say, why do you call me teacher, teacher, and then not learn from what I'm telling you, okay? We can sort of relate to Jesus' question. Why do you call me something? Why do you call me Lord, but then you don't do what I tell you to do? Now, this is, there's, there's, a, there's a lot going on in this, right? And I think it's important that we pick up on this idea of what it meant to be Lord, because Lord was, we, we hear Lord, and, you know, I hear Lord, and I think of, like, I think about England and people that, you know, sir this and sir that, and there's lords and ladies, and it's a whole world that I don't really understand. Um, but, but that's, the term Lord here is, is critical to understanding what Jesus is saying. And it's critical understanding it in this first century context, and it's critical understanding why, why Luke includes it in this, this gospel message that goes out to the Greco-Roman world. He's sort of writing to an audience that, that wasn't, it was, it, was, 
Jesus is speaking to the Jews, but Luke is taking this and he's taking Jesus' teaching to non-Jews, people that were outside of, of Judaism. And it's important that we catch, catch on to what he's saying. The term Lord was a specific term that referenced something critical in the culture. The term Lord, and we've used this around here as, as well in certain contexts, but the term Lord was curios. Okay, not curious, but curios. And, and Lord, this word for Lord, it meant supreme authority. Supreme. It was exclusive. There could only be one Lord. There couldn't be multiples. It was the term that was used to identify the authority of Caesar. Caesar was Lord. He was the supreme authority. He was the one that ultimately all other authority flowed from. Now, this is the first century, and the Roman Empire is at its peak, and the Romans were very, very good at keeping law and order. Because if you, if you rebel once, you would be, that rebellion would be shut down. If you rebelled twice, then your entire people group would be wiped out. And that happened to the Jewish people, not completely, but their land was completely taken from them just a, a couple decades after Luke would have written these words. And so Luke poses this question from Jesus, and the question is, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me supreme authority? And then not do what I say. So it, it's... This question, the people hearing this question would have recognized right away. This term is not like, hey, I've got some good ideas, and if they work for you, why don't you go ahead and try them too? Okay? This wouldn't have been like, you know, why don't you, why don't you take like a sample, you know, like, like at, the, at, at Sam's Club? Why don't you take a sample, and if you like it, you can go over to the freezer and buy more of this. This term, Lord, and the question that, that Jesus is asking is, why do you recognize any other authority but me? Why do you say that I'm ultimately in charge? But then your life, your life doesn't reflect it in what you do. It's posed a little differently in Matthew. We've talked about this as a parallel passage. Um, it's posed a little differently in Matthew. In Matthew's gospel, when he writes about this, he actually, says, um, he actually says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing about the kingdom of heaven in this. Okay? And in fact, when we look at the rest of this chapter, the rest, the rest of this section, there's nothing there about heaven either. But Ma Matthew's focus seemed to be on who's in and who's out. It seemed to be on, on who has the blessing of the kingdom of God and who doesn't. But that's not what, what, what Luke's gospel, it's not what's emphasized here. He asks it as a question. And I think perhaps he asks it as a question because questions are intentionally intended for us to stir up our own answer. Whereas, whereas in Matthew, he's simply saying, look, there's a standard by which rightness and wrongness in the kingdom is measured. Right? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, not everyone who claims that I'm supreme authority is going to receive the blessing. You can say it. That doesn't mean you mean it. It's just 
direct teaching. But here in Luke, he's, it's asked as a question. It's posed to us as a question. And I, I would, I want to say to you, I think it's not only posed to, to them as a question, but it's posed to us as a question. And when we hear the question, it gives us an opportunity to pause, to stop, to reflect. Is Jesus my supreme authority? Is he my supreme authority? Is he my Lord? But it also gives us a chance to reflect on something that we looked at earlier, something else we looked at earlier in the series, not just who this is to, but in the section on values, it gave us a look, I, gave, I tried to give you a look at, at this imagery, that when we think about what someone does, remember that's buried into the question, why do you say, Lord, Lord, but not do what I say, Jesus asked. So you, when we think about our actions, our actions in, in the, the imagery that I tried to present, and I'll remind you of this, it was, if it wasn't so vivid and powerful the first time through, here's a reminder, okay? Our actions are just the tip of an iceberg. They're what people see in us, and they reflect deeper things like our values and our beliefs. Our values and our beliefs sort of produce our actions, but it's our values and our beliefs that Jesus is after. See, Lord, Lord is a statement of, of belief. Do I believe that Jesus is ultimately in charge? Okay? Do I believe that? If I do, do I value what he has to say in a way that it has preeminence over other things in my life? Beliefs, values. But Jesus here says, in the question, he says, yeah, but, but do your actions really reflect that internal belief? Is there consistency between what you say about your life, what you say about authority, what you say about who's in charge, and the way that you actually live, Jesus is asking us. And so he's posing this question for reflection. What happens when there's a rift between what we say is true and what's happening in our life? What, what, what's going on there? What do we do with that kind of, that kind of rift between our values and our beliefs, we say something is important to us, but we don't live it out. We say that the, the truth and honesty are critical. But then we lie about our private life. Or we say that, it's, that, that, that generosity is important, and yet we hoard and gather and don't give to those in need. I say that my family is important. And yet I run and run and run pursuing other things and marginalize them with my time. What do we do with that? Okay. What do we do with it? And he's going to go on to, to tell us this story, but, but I want to, because there's, there's this, this question, like what, what do we do with hypocrisy? And, and the list of things Jesus tells us is so long. Here's a sampling, right? This is like 10% of all the things. If you just harvest the things that Jesus tells us, okay? If you harvest the things that he is, he's told us to do, here's a sampling. In Luke chapter 6, we already saw this. Don't judge. Love your enemies. Um, later on in Luke, he's going to tell us to reject greed. Don't, don't, don't be a person who's constantly focused on getting more for yourself. In Matthew's gospel, I just pulled out four there, but be honest. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I don't, not, I don't do that flawlessly. 
Pay what is owed. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's, it, love God, love your neighbor, Matthew 28. Make disciples of others. Like, there's all these things that Jesus tells us, and then what do we, like, what is it, there's something in us that's, that creates these, these, this rift between who I say that I am and what comes out in my life, what I actually do. It's a reality of being human. It's a reality of the sin that is, that, that, that is in me, that though Christ has died for it, I'm still in a process of being made whole. And what do we do when we encounter it? Well, here's, there's, we, the rest of this section is going to give us a, a story, an illustration. And I think in the illustration, we're going to see some clues. Okay, so let's take a look at the rest of this. Verse 47, Luke 6, 47. And Jesus says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus uses flood imagery. Flood imagery should be familiar to us right now, right? In the last year, we've had major storms that have hit, you know, have hit even the contiguous U.S., but have hit the Caribbean islands. And we see examples all the time of, of storms coming and rain falling and water rising and homes that are built on solid foundations. While there may be external damage to the home or to the building, it stands, but we have a lot of examples. We have a lot of examples of homes that are just sort of built without a foundation. And those homes are swept away. Okay? The rain falls and the water rises and when the water hits them, it, it tears them away. And so the emphasis in this section, the emphasis in this section is on the foundation. There's, it, it, it gives us two, two distinct groups, those who hear and do, and those who hear but do not do. Okay? Now, to take us back to the beginning, to take us back to the beginning of this whole section, remember, Jesus is speaking to three distinct groups Apostles, those that are very close, okay? they're very close to the action. He's speaking to disciples, people that have made some sort of proclamation, some sort of step to actually follow Jesus, to trust him with their life. And then he's speaking to these crowds, this mass of people who have just come out out of curiosity. And, and Luke is wrapping up this teaching in that context with those groups, and he's saying the real difference, the distinction between those that will last and those that won't is the foundation. It's what's in the foundation. It's, it, it's, it's what, what's done on the outside, what's done in action is an indication of that foundation, but it's the foundation that causes the life to stand. So the foundation becomes the reason, Paul picked up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid. You can't just put foundation upon foundation. Okay? 
But now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, oh, sorry, that foundation which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, verse 11. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. It will become known, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. You see, Paul picks up on this exact same theme. And Luke and Paul were companions, or ministry companions at various times. So there's very little doubt that they were, they were drawing on the same teaching of Jesus. But he says this, he says, look, there's a foundation, and that foundation is Jesus, okay? And we're all sort of building on that foundation. We're building on it. We, if, we, if we have Jesus at bare minimum, we're building on that foundation, if, if we're an iceberg and we have Jesus at the core of the iceberg, at the level of our belief and our values, he's there. We're, everything else in life is being built on that. And, and with that, each, one, each one's work each, it will become manifest. A point in time is coming, he says, where fire is going to test. In, in, in Luke's gospel, in quoting Jesus, he says, water is coming and water will be the test. In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, fire will test it. And the imagery of fire being consuming is critical here. But the reality is this. To stick with Luke chapter 6, storms come. Did you catch that? Did you catch that in, in, the, in the illustration that Jesus gave? And we could stick with Paul in 1 Corinthians as well. The fire comes. But in Luke chapter 6, in Jesus' teaching, he says, the storm is coming. There are those that build their foundation and those that build without a foundation. But a storm is coming to both of them. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. The storm is coming. And the water, when the storm comes, the water brings a breaking point. The waters rise, and as the water rises, the house that's built reaches a breaking point, and houses stand or fall based on their foundation. Okay, are you with me on this? This is the, the illustration, the metaphor that Jesus uses. The one who builds their house on a firm foundation. The storm comes, the waters break against it. The, 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 the water level, it reaches critical flood stage and it breaks against the house. But following that, the house stands. Those without a foundation same rains. The rains come. And the, the water rises and it breaks against the house without the foundation, but at the end, that house falls. Right? Now, um, we said this, I said this, Matthew seems to make it about eternity, the kingdom of heaven. Luke's doesn't. Now, I think the two things are like this, right? Like, ultimately, my relationship with Christ is it's foundational. I must, I must be his disciple. I must say yes to him and walk with him and trust him and believe him. He must be the foundation for my life or there's eternal consequences. That's Matthew. Luke, Luke seems to have very practical matters at hand. He seems to be saying something more about the present and so let's take a minute here, and I want to take each of these steps, and I want to ask, and I want to invite you to think about 
our lives in light of this metaphor. And the first thing, if we say that storms are coming, yes, but here's, this is the truth. Trouble is coming. Trouble is coming. I have a friend that I quote far too often who says that, that so you may have heard me say this, but he says, he says, your life, you're either in the midst of a storm or a storm is on the horizon. But be sure, a storm is coming. In our lives, we're going to encounter storms. It's, it's a fact. We will be hurt. The rain will fall. We, we will have relationships that fall apart that matter deeply to us. We will hit financial trouble. We will invest and invest and invest in our children, and some of them will say, no thanks, and push us aside and walk away. We will work hard to achieve a goal and find that in the end, we just can't get to that goal. We're blocked from it. These things are coming in our lives. They're happening. I've been in the midst of a storm of sorts in my own life, and I'm not sure if the rain is all, some of the rain might be self-induced. In fact, I'm sure a lot of it is. From the time that I was, I mean, I'll say young, young, but, but I always had in my head that I was, I was going to be, feel free, you can laugh at me, it's fine. Just don't do it out loud because it still hurts. Okay, I was going to be Dr. Burns. Sounds, that's got a ring to it, right? Google it, there's like 9,000 of them. Um, it's not all that special. But I was going to be Dr. Burns. But I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not bright enough to be like a medical doctor. It doesn't help that I pass out at the sight of needles entering flesh. It doesn't work for me, Okay. I'm not, you know, I, I, I have also have other priorities, but about five years ago, I entered a doctoral program. Yay me, okay? I entered a doctoral program, and, um, and I, I started taking classes, okay? I started taking classes, and the very first class, I should have taken this as an omen. I, I, this, this happened. Um, the, my, the classes, I have to go to Chicago to take my classes. And um, we were living on the west side of, well, this is the west side. Now we live a little bit more north. But I was driving out I-70 towards Indianapolis for my very first class. Head Indianapolis and then up to Chicago from there. And um, I'm driving along I-70 towards Indianapolis, and the, the sky gets very dark, okay? I mean, really, really dark. It was, it was still light out, you know, and really dark, and I'm driving along, and suddenly, like, semi-trucks are weaving and doing this business, right? And, and I'm in, I have a tiny little black, like, car that, that just it weighs, like, you know, a quarter ton or something. It's not a smart car, but it could be. Um, so I'm getting down the road, and I'm having a hard time keeping this car on the road, okay? And I, so I, I head, I'm heading towards Indianapolis, sky's black, wind's blowing, and the next thing I know, like, it is torrential rain there's hail like i mean this is this is like old testament stuff going on and and cars are veering off the road and pulling off and 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 i i just keep going right i just keep driving um i stop in indianapolis and um 
and start to hear some chatter about the tornadoes that had ripped through, okay? And I'm, in my ignorance, I just kind of kept going. Now, that's, I make it to Chicago, I do my class, I think I'm still here with you, this, I don't think this is like a mental projection that, you know, I died that day, but I'm living out the rest of my life in a nanosecond or anything like that. It's great for science fiction, but I think we're all here, uh, for real. <clears throat> but about two years ago, the storm moved from like a literal storm on the road, and the storm moved to, like, I'm in this doctoral program, I've got this goal that I'm reaching for, and I want to attain it. And stuff in my life starts to crowd it out, okay? It starts to crowd it out. Like family stuff, and it's all good stuff, but family stuff starts to, starts to kind of take my path and my time and energy another way. Um, I've had, I had some, some significant sleeping problems over a long period of time that finally I'm getting some rest now, but I wasn't for a long time. My, my health really started to go bad. And, and like a fool, I'd continued to schedule these classes at such a pace. And, and here's, here's what happened to me. I just hit this wall in my life. It was about two years ago. Spring of 2016. It was two years ago. And... Um, and, and I haven't been to class in Chicago in two years. And I've, are my kids here? Close your ears. Like, I haven't turned in work. You know, I'm always telling them, turn your stuff in. I haven't turned in work. I'm sort of stuck. And I'm in this, I'm in this place where there's this trouble. Now, again, a lot of it's self-inflicted. But there's this storm in my life where I, I have this thing that I want. It's a goal. But the rain's been falling on it. And it's, the sky is dark around it. And the winds are blowing. And I, I feel this sense that the water is sort of breaking against my goal. And you see, I'm wrestling with what's happened in my life was, God, I'm doing this for you. Like, I'm wrestling with this question or this sense of, this was God, this was your thing. You led me to this. You opened up doors for me to do this. I believe that this was what you, the path you sent me on. I believe you protected me from the tornado in the spring of you know, 2013. I'm supposed to be here doing this. And in the illustration that, that Jesus is giving us, he's, he's saying that storms are coming, and, and, and in the midst of the storm, there will be testing. There's going to be testing. Like the, the water is going to break against our lives in such a way that a point of testing comes that a point of testing comes. In James it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, here's, here's the thing. Testing is coming. Trials are coming. And when they're there, when they're there, 
that what, what James is writing is that this testing of our faith, it's there to produce something. Steadfastness. It's there to produce a, a, a glue that holds us, that, that makes our, our life with Christ sticky, that we, we can't let it go. And unlike, unlike the dream to, to, to be Dr. So-and-so, or unlike the dream to have an outcome in my life that I decided long ago was God's outcome for my life, there may be other things at work. But I want to get to what I think this is saying is number three. When that testing comes, on that day of testing, the result will have already been decided. Did you catch what happened in the story? It wasn't on the day of the storm. It wasn't on the day of the storm that the person scrambled and boarded up the windows and, and, and put sandbags out and did all the things that they needed on that day to withstand the storm. The withstanding of the storm was the result of the foundation. It was the foundation. It was what had been built long before. It was where the person stood, where they built. And it's about foundations. It's about where we anchor our life. It's about, it's about the, the, the core of the iceberg. It's about me and, my, and my, not just my acknowledgement that Christ is Lord, but my actual belief that all of my life is built upon him. And so when he says that it's good, I actually pursue what he tells me is good. I actually do it. When he says that, that, it's, that it's, it's harmful, I actually resist it and avoid it. Not because by doing so, I make myself right with him, but because he is the foundation of my life. He is where I'm anchored. I've built all, everything that I do, as, as much as lies within me, I, I, when he says it, I believe it enough to act upon it. And so we get out of whack we get out of whack because we start to put other things in the foundation. We start to go, we can go right back to the beginning of this and we start to put God's blessing is financial. His blessing is filling in food and pleasure. His blessing is harmony and a lack of discomfort in my life. His blessing is the approval of men. But it's not those things. We've put those things at the foundation. But they're not the foundation. And so this morning, we need to ask this question because we're, we're all building, and I, we're, we're, we're building from a foundation. And we need to ask this, the question about what's in our foundation What's at our foundation? What, what, what is it that we're building upon? As Paul said there in 1 Corinthians, there is only one foundation to build on. It's Christ. 
And have we placed him there as Lord? Not just with our mouths, not just with, with lip service, but, but have we actually said, have we actually made him the supreme authority? And the building that goes on when it's time, to, when it's time for the storm, will we stand because of where we're built? If we're, if we're just with Jesus because of what kind of like he's going to do something for us and that something is going to keep us from the storms, we've got the wrong Jesus. That's not what's going to happen. And the way of Jesus, it's not, just about, it's not just about what happens when we die. The way of Jesus is the best way of life for this world, the things of this world. And so we have to, we have to if, if, if we're to hear the words of Christ, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? We have to stop. We have to pause. We have to, to ask ourselves, is there a gap? Is there a gap between what I say I believe and value and the way I live because I'm building on a foundation. My life, my work, my actions are all building on a particular foundation. And if my actions don't reflect the foundation of Christ, not only, not only does that have significant implications, as Matthew says, for eternity in the kingdom, but it has implications for the storms of my life. Will I, will I be able to stand? Or will I crumble? So this morning, I'm going to go back to if, if, where, where you stand at present. If you're here and you're someone who has come in and, and you'd put yourself in that ring as an apostle, I'm someone who's walked with Christ, I've served Christ, I'm, I'm settled in my relationship with Christ, I would encourage you to continue building on that foundation. But to, to push beyond it, if, if you're here this morning and, and you, have, you call Christ Lord, would you stop and ask, is my life consistent with that claim? If Christ stood before me and said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And yet here's this thing in your life that's inconsistent. Would you stop and, and, and reflect on that? Would you engage others around you to ask, are there areas where I'm calling Christ Lord, but it just doesn't seem to match my life? And if you're in the crowd, and I, I don't mean that, I mean, I mean it figuratively, but I mean it I, like the crowd in Luke chapter 6. You're here and you're curious and you're, you're interested in what Jesus has to say, but, but at present you may say, I've not, I don't call Jesus my Lord. Would you consider his claim that he is Lord? He's made a way. We're about to enter the, the, the Easter season. He made a way through his death that, that I don't have to, I can have a different foundation. I don't have to build my house on just the best that I can make of it. But Christ has made a way for me to, to build my life on him. He died to take my sin. And he rose to show his power over death so that we could share in that life. We can stand against the storm. I'm going to pray. And when I pray, would you ask in your soul, where am I 
Where am I? Do I, do I, does, does my action meet and match what I claim to be true about Christ? Pray with me. God, thank you. Thank you for, uh, <clears throat> for the gift of your Son. In Christ, we ask today that, that we would be people who are serious and sincere and faithful about who you are and what you've done for us and um, what that means in relationship to, to the way that I, I live my life and the life that I'm trying to build and, and what I'm trying to make out of my life. God, would you, um, would you show us, shine light on the places where our, our, our actions are so different from, from your truth? Would you, um, would you show us where, where we're, we're out of whack? And in those moments, would you give us the faith to, to trust you? Would you give us the faith to, to dig into why? And God, we ask this morning as well for those who may not have, have ever called you Lord, we ask that they too, that, that those in the room would be, would be courageous to ask, what do I need? How can I do that? We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for the work you've done ahead of us so that we can stand the storms. And um, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.